Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Bridge Bank. Today's Friday, September 25th. Halloween candy sales are up, hopes for next year's Carnival are down, and we're focused on the future of media. For anyone who even casually follows the media business, it's no secret that the traditional model is under strain, if not outright broken. Lots of big city dailies, small city dailies, and regional weeklies have folded after there weren't enough digital dimes to make up for all the lost print dollars. Magazines, they're under similar pressure, and even a whole generation of web-first publications have either fallen or significantly shrunk their staffs. And now these media groups, plus those that have actually survived the newsroom purges, are facing a new challenge. High-profile journalists going out on their own, enabled by a suite of tech startups that not only let them self-publish, but make money by self-publishing. The most notable of these is Substack, which claims more than 250,000 paying subscribers across its network, with its top 10 writers earning a collective $7 million in annualized revenue. Just this week, Substack poached well-known tech journalist Casey Newton from The Verge, and he now joins a roster that already included names like Matt Taibbi and Heather Cox Richardson. Through Substack, writers create newsletters that can only be accessed by paid subscriptions, sometimes $5, $10, $15 per month. They also get a dedicated home on the web and the opportunity to create podcasts and other additional content. Substack, it takes a 10% commission and at some point plans to offer things like health benefits, although it doesn't yet. In short, this is perhaps a new model for journalism, with the journalist as writer, editor, and kind of sorta, publisher. Is it the future or just a passing fad? That's the question we will ask Substack CEO Chris Best in 15 seconds. But first, this. We're joined now by Chris Best, CEO of Substack. So Chris, Substack started about three years ago. What was the initial mission of the company? The initial mission of the company, we sort of started it because we think that what you read matters. Great writing is really valuable. It's not just entertainment, but it shapes kind of who you are, how you see the world, what the thoughts you can think. And we felt that the internet kind of killed the business model for publishing, for great writing. Craigslist killed the classifieds. Facebook and Google took over the advertising industry. And now social media is grabbing all of our attention in a way that we're stuck sort of chasing engagement in a way that breaks everything. And the only solution to that is a better model to let writers and readers kind of opt out and choose to play a different game where readers pay their writers directly. One of the things that writers, existing journalists often value is the newsroom itself, you know, having experts who they can bounce ideas off of, who they can maybe collaborate with, etc. What's the pitch you make to Substack writers? Because it seems, and tell me if I'm wrong, that they're fairly siloed almost by design. Yeah, I mean, being able to kind of strike it on your own audience is one of the pitches. And that is a little bit at odds with sort of the newsroom take. We have been adding features where you can, if you want to start a Substack with other people, you know, we've added bylines, we've added multi-admin, we're making tools to kind of make a joint venture easier and easier. And we're starting to explore services that we can add that help with some of those things. So we announced a Substack Defender program, for instance, that's helping out with people's legal concerns. That's one of the things you often miss from a newsroom. We're thinking of ways that we could help, we could connect people with editing, other stuff like that. 
Chris, the legal one is interesting. You know, most media organizations either have counsel who helps with this, but more importantly, they've got editors who are vetting before things ever get to a potential legal case. So how do you think about that? The fact that you guys don't have editors? The thing that we started the Defender program for was we found the people that were doing local journalism, especially, were getting kind of bogus legal threats. Because I think if you're a local politician or business person, and you've got like, maybe if you're lucky, one person covering you, if you can sort of shut them up by sending them a threatening letter on scary legal head, it's really tempting to do that. And if you are an independent writer that's doing this by yourself, that can feel really scary, even if it's totally unfounded. And it's hard to have a way to push back on that. And so that's where we kind of started with this program. We are saying, hey, if you're getting basically bogus legal threats, we want to help. That's the kind of thing that we're excited to help with because our whole thing is doing everything that writers need to go independent. And one of the things writers need to go independent is obviously money. There is at least talk that you guys provide for some of your bigger name writers, at least to bring them over a guaranteed first year salary, essentially, or at least minimum amount of income. Is that accurate? And if so, what happens after the first year? We've been experimenting with a few different models. Most of the people that are most successful on Substack have not had anything like that. But we are thinking of it as a way to help kickstart people's independence. Being able to kind of like quit your job and start some independent business, basically, where you're taking a big bet on yourself is something that not everyone is able to do, even of the people who would be very successful at it. And so we see it as a way that we can kind of, again, help provide everything you need to go independent by unsticking that. If we know that you're going to be really successful on Substack, we can guarantee you this first year. And then after that, you go back to the normal model where you're keeping the lion's share of upside. And it can kind of be a good trade for people who just need this activation energy to get started, but want that independent model. On the newsletter piece, since that's kind of the core of it, how do you view the prospect of newsletter fatigue, particularly as companies like Substack add to the number of newsletters that are out in the market? It'll be a nice problem for us to have if the people's main problem is I read so many newsletters that are great. The thing that people are really buying when you pay for a newsletter, especially, is to get signal amongst the noise, right? You're kind of paying to be able to decide for yourself who to trust, who to elevate, what kind of content, what kind of writing you want shaping your mind. And I think there's a lot of room for that, basically. It's interesting. One of the things about you guys, at least with some of the higher profile writers, is that even if they don't technically bring their list over to you, they bring their profile, they bring their name over to you, they have social media, they can amplify that they're now on Substack. So kind of established media organizations almost work as a farm system for you guys to a certain extent. Are you concerned that there's going to be lots of similar companies to you and you're going to ultimately either become a farm system for them or there'll be a race to the bottom in terms of commissions and that they'll basically be kind of almost bidding wars for these folks? It puts the pressure on us to make sure that we're delivering the value for the commission we take, right? And the pitch that I make to people is, hey, on Substack, you're going to be more than 10% more successful. And so it's going to more than pay for itself. And it does put the pressure on us to make sure that that's true. And I think it is today. And it's as people grow and grow, it just means that we have to expand the value that we're offering. And final question about that expansion. Obviously, you guys, the minute that if I'm a Substack writer, the minute I start to make money, you start to make money also off of me through that commission. That said, you guys are venture capital backed. You haven't raised nearly as much as lots of other media companies have. Is the idea that the company can grow off of the revenue and cash flow you have, or will you need more venture funding to continue to expand into some of the things you said, other benefits for writers, et cetera? We've always taken the approach that we should have a business model that works. Writers are kind of taking a big bet on us as well when they come to Substack. And we want to 
be sure that we're around for the long term. And so we've always taken the position that any money we've raised, we treat it as the last money we ever have to raise. But you've raised more than once. So I know that might be how you treat it, but it's been a couple of years. Do you plan to raise again? It depends. On? Um, on whether we think it makes sense for the business. I will say that we will not be in a position where we have to raise money. Chris, final question for you. Do you view Substack as being a competitor to established media organizations, to kind of social media companies, or none of the above? Both. I think something that people don't ask as much as I'd expect. They used to ask a lot when we started the company. It was like, people are never going to pay for this. Readers are never going to pay for this thing. Why would they? And now the question that I wish people would ask is like, why are people paying so much for writers on Substack? Why do people pay more sometimes for one writer on Substack than they pay for all of Netflix? And I think the answer is really for readers, we are an alternative to the existing attention ecosystem. All of the social feeds that try and kind of like gobble up all of your attention, it's grabbed it, it's free, it's really compelling. People are starting to realize like, what is this doing to us? What is this doing to my mind? What is this doing to society? And they want an alternative where they can take back their mind. And I think in that way, we are a competitor for your attention from these other media ecosystems that are failing, frankly. Chris Best, CEO of Substack. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Welcome back. What we're watching today is a new Department of Homeland Security rule that would limit student visas to just two years for citizens of nearly 50 countries. It's something that could make it a lot harder for overseas students from places like Haiti or Vietnam to get four-year degrees from American universities. And that could become a problem for America's economy because immigrant students often try to stay in the U.S. to create new businesses, some of which have become very large employers. Today, we are also watching the latest in COVID postponements, and this one is Carnival, the giant celebration in Rio de Janeiro. It was supposed to take place in February but now is delayed indefinitely. And finally, we are watching Halloween candy sales. Conventional wisdom is they should be bottoming out because trick-or-treating is the antithesis of coronavirus safety precautions. You know, not just opening the door to strangers, but also lots of kids putting their hands into the same bowl. But according to research firm IRI and the National Confectioners Association, Halloween candy sales are up 13% year over year for the month ending September 6th. So part of this maybe is just pandemic-fatigued adults wanting to indulge, but more, it seems to reflect how lots of retailers, including dollar stores and discount stores, were worried about oversupply, so they put their Halloween candy on shelves and on sale way earlier than ever before. Oh, and speaking of kids in the pandemic age, today's show is being taped from the home office with a group of fourth graders who are trying to do what now passes as school. So girls, take away the ending. And we're done. Big thanks for listening and to our producers, Tim and Naomi. Have a great National Comic Book Day. We'll be back Monday with another Axos recap.